Hi, my name is Michael Frank, and this is the Prefab Pod presented by Prefab Review, where we interview leading people and companies in the prefab housing industry and sort of adjacent industries. Today, we're speaking with David Latimer, the CEO and founder of uh, New Frontier Design. Uh, To start, David, uh, can you tell me a little bit about the history of New Frontier and how you got into doing all this stuff? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so... Just way back when, uh, in college, I, I studied literature and philosophy and kind of always chose a, a, you know, a lifestyle of adventure and travel and experience, uh, not any one career path. I was one of those creative types who had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, and I just, I spent a lot of time kind of meandering through different places and industries, uh, lived in New York for almost three years in, uh, East Village worked in fashion primarily, um, traveled around Europe, uh, backpacking by myself for about eight months, uh, actually before New York, right after college and got burned out of New York, moved to Africa, uh, Uganda and worked in an orphanage, helping to expand and improve what they were doing, um, in a village outside of Kimpala and then Chicago for six years. And, uh, kind of, you know, a lot of travel in between all those places um, in between that, that time frame. So about six years ago, I'm, or oh, geez, I don't have time because I don't yeah. even know how to measure time anymore. Um, yeah. <laughs> 2013. So push around a decade ago, I moved back to Nashville, born and raised in Nashville. And uh, I, at that point I had, you know, worked in hospitality, worked in tech, worked in, um, started doing design build for bars, restaurants, uh, nightclubs in, in River North and, and a couple other trendy areas in Chicago. Uh, I kind of been in and out of construction. My first job in high school uh, was you know working on a framing crew. So I've always been really drawn to self-reliance and autonomy um, and just learn. I, I love learning. So I'm always kind of, I get bored easily and, just very curious and always trying to improve myself and yeah, just learn new, new skills and <clears throat> ideas and concepts. Um, so when I moved back to Nashville, I had this opportunity to be a GM director of ops for a, a restaurant bar that, you know, had all the ingredients of a, a real home run. Uh, turned out to not be that, turned out to be a perfect example of what not to do and how not to do it and who not to do it with, um, <laughs> which is very painful, but very important uh, learning opportunity. And it kind of sent me into this really introspective time where I'm like, all right, I'm anxious. I don't like the work I'm doing. Why am I living this way? How can I change? And so, you know, just really an inward journey. Um, just get learning about myself, you know, journaling, meditating, reading all sorts of resources on entrepreneurship. And I hate this title, but like, you know, self-help. Um yeah, just picking up new skills. And during that time, my dad does affordable housing in Nashville. He has the the oldest nonprofit. Uh, it's over thirty years old, and he, it, you know, he had, he introduced me to tiny homes on wheels. He saw it as a, a very good them um, as a very good solution for the you know increasing affordable housing. Now I'd say it's a legitimate crisis, but you know, affordable, attainable workforce housing issues in Nashville and, you know, it's endemic across the country. Um, And I just 
instantly fell in love with these these things with the product and like wait a minute so this is something i can design architecturally interior styling decor myself i can build it myself i can move it wherever i want to go it's a mechanism for intentional living meaning like you have very very limited finite constraints on what you yep. can do and so you got to be really intentional about how you consume what you consume <clears throat> and they're and they're really like something great about them is they they bring your principles and values of daily living into day, you know, of your, your life at large into daily living. Right. So you're not just relegating them to weekends and holidays. Um, and so it really becomes a life of experience over the acquisition of stuff and status. And, um, you know, I haven't experienced anything outside of time. I'm not sure if there, any other person has. And, uh, so if we take more control of our time, um, we are able to control our experiences and our relationships, which to me is what life's about. So uh, roundabout way, uh, saying it, um, I, when I decided I wanted to do this, my father and I built the first couple together. Um, you know, during that, pro- I learned a lot with him and through him, and he really gave me uh, my start. So I'm very indebted to him and grateful. Um, and then I, I started branch out, did my own company. The very first tiny house I designed, built uh, with my my former partner, still you know good friend um, Zach Thomas. He in Nashville. We I, I got an opportunity to have to be on an HGTV show. So the very first one I designed and built from scratch was on this episode, and that just launched everything from there. Um, you know, Architectural Digest, well, all sorts of. <clears throat> you know, very reputable media, uh, design, build, construction outlets throughout the country and the world. And, um, yeah, so kind of did the first few with me and a small team, um, built the first few. And then once demand grew, hired a team, started producing them in Nashville. Um, you want me to keep going? I know this is no, that's of, great. That's um, so yes, let's, let's get, get into that and then we'll come back and talk about cool. the design, which I think is actually probably the most in some ways at least from the outside sort of the most notable but in terms of the teams thing um so you talked about a lot of the companies we've talked to you sort of start out like actually building the first one or two themselves and then do you do you actually have like a factory of carpenters and people who are actually building these or do you now outsource that with a like you know some kind of partner factory or something yeah great question um so the first few like i said was just me and a few friends. Right. I, mean, I I have amazing friends in Nashville. It has a really cool maker community. Yeah. Uh, it certainly did, you know, 10, 15 years ago, um, five to 10 years ago. And then, and so that was really fun. Learned a lot. Um, like I said, once I got a few of those under my belt and started getting the orders, uh, I hired a team um, locally in Nashville <clears throat> And we started building in a, in a production facility. Yeah. Uh, actually, on one of my friend's farms there. I was gonna say, is a production facility just like a barn or a warehouse that like? Cause... Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was essentially a small, smaller warehouse. Yeah. Um, we would, you know, get them all dried in inside, and then move them outside to to do a lot of uh, a lot of finish work and whatnot. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so had a team. I would say probably the equivalent of like. 10 full timers uh, with different subcontractors for different things. And that was great. I mean, I need, I wanted to learn all the things uh, about 
<laughs> going from concept um, to sale to making a product. Um, for me, making a product is very important. I don't just want to sit in a world of ideas and, you know, as a lot of architects do, um, <clears throat> I want to make something that's, that's real, that, that exists, that, that really adds a lot of value to people's lives. So, uh, I got, you know, I learned a lot, learned a lot, what not to do, uh, as we often do, um, before learning what to do. <clears throat> and then about three and a half years in, I was like, you know, uh, I, I don't want to be spending all my time project managing, right? I'm a designer and a creative first and foremost. So I want to spend more time creatively. And then my product has been very high touch, high custom. So I work very closely with my clients and I want to free up more time to spend more time with them. And I've been very fortunate to have incredible clients for, you know, start started the business, started building in 2015, I guess formalized the company in 2016. Um, I'll get to, where I'm at present day, but yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of where I'm missing. I mean, yeah. What, what questions do you have from here? Oh, no, so, so sorry. So, so then, so you're saying now you outsource some of the yeah, like sorry. So, construction to another group or something. Yeah. Um, there was this really special formative event in the summer of 20, I guess it was 2016. Yeah. It was 2016. Um, Maybe 2015. Uh, like I said, time. It's going to be a lot of you. Yeah. It was the first tiny house jamboree. It was in Colorado Springs. And all the, you know, very pioneer tiny house um, people were there, you know, giving talks and just like you got to see tiny homes. And it was really, really special event. They thought it was going to be pretty small. It wound up being 40,000 people in oh, wow. three, three days. And very serendipitously the first day at garden of the gods before it started you know i ran into this guy we were basically parked beside each other to go you know walk around the park the night before it started his name is jim stoltzfus and he grew up in southwest pennsylvania um builder for a long time grew up amish not amish now uh if anybody has any experience with them they are of the highest integrity personally and of the highest integrity in their work ethic and what they produce we really hit it off and as our he was starting a company at the same time so we would swap war stories you know give each other feedback advice and a couple years in when our product or our companies were established like we love to collaborate and it was just this you know kind of symphony of serendipity where it made sense we did a couple projects together like oh this is you know such a great fit for both of us and we haven't looked back and then i just added to liberation tiny homes is that company and that is just yeah. a group of incredible human beings. I really like love those dudes personally and professionally. Um, yeah, it's just been such an incredible experience. They've they've allowed me to to so adapt. The, so the division responsibility is mostly like you're doing like primarily like design customer facing stuff, and then they're doing the yeah. So I went from homes. right, yeah, yeah. So I went from like running the business, managing everything, um, <clears throat> to Hey, I want to have a smaller business. I want to have a, a more flexible remote business. And I want, like yeah. I said, I want to be spending most of my time doing the things I enjoy most and the things I'm best at. So I, you know, I, I have, so the building piece was obviously the hugest part, the most time consuming. So I, I, they, you know, like I said, I get, I get a sale, I go through all the design phase and then I work with the builder to bring it to life. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I had, I had another 
builder who will remain unnamed, who uh, was the polar opposite and yeah. a terrible experience. And I'm sure that's one of the painful lessons of, of outsourcing anything or, or building totally. anything. You're going to come across some shady people who live from the opposite of a place of integrity. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. I think of a lot of what we do is like, like our company as a company is like, doing diligence on partners and i'm sure you were did real diligence you know <laughs> is hard so we, yes. we, we try to help people avoid this as much as possible but yeah uh, it's definitely uh a little yeah, varied so it's good that you found some good partners that's a really important service you know i mean we don't know yeah. what we don't know until we learn it and yeah, uh, these are also these are like people these are also like you know i mean like sort of tiny homes are on the sort of less expensive side of what we do but if people are spending you know six or seven figures on something these are like serious purchases to people so so it makes sense yeah. to you know spend some time making sure you have high confidence in it um, yeah. um that's really cool um so just transitioning into like what you actually make so you guys make right really really striking um i guess i'd call them tiny homes they're almost like sort of little pieces of art um Thank and you. Very uh kind. uh and you know, I mean, they're uh, they're interesting and they're they're specific, right? Like they're not li- like right, like you have, yeah, just, like they're sort of for these like sort of interesting use cases. But this doesn't necessarily they don't necessarily feel like they're supposed to like cover all necessarily tiny home use cases, which is totally fine. Um, so given that at least on your site you have whatever five or six models, um, how did how did the product line develop? Like how did you sort of settle on these? as uh yeah kind of homes that you were gonna sort of show to the world and do at at least some production scale yeah you know i think as as with most people most entrepreneurs um you know you have this goal and this vision of what you want to do and along the way all sorts of hurdles and opportunities you couldn't have broker yourself come up and um it's, it's kind of a meandering path but always a discovery and being adaptable and just constantly challenging yourself to learn and grow so the very first one in a, a affordable housing attainable housing was an important really important part of my ethos and starting this if you look at my price point you'll see that that is not where uh where the business is right it's, it's, got, it, it's gotten a sort of more of a yeah. like sort of attainable luxury or something like i don't know how you describe it yeah and i'll get to what what most of my clients are using my homes for now um, certainly saves them lots and lots of money for, for their situation. But the, the, so I actually signed this deal with this production company to do a, a TV show. Yeah. They wound up not getting picked up, but they had this yeah. other show called tiny house, big living where they fo- featured a different build every time. So cool. hit it off with them. They had a builder drop out. I wound up feed, filling in this last slot nice. and it was like, what, what am I going to do? And so just kind of built this this design and built this one for myself. Well, you know, my partner Zach, it's like I've been a builder for 10 years and never had an opportunity to be, you know, on HGTV. So let's just go nuts and build the design and build the coolest tiny home we've ever seen. Yeah. So kind of carte blanche um, on some level. So we did that. We went nuts. I'm I'm, you know, extremely obsessed over details, quality. I'm a I'm a you know long-term thinker uh meaning like i i'll never compromise the quality um i'd rather take a haircut than you know <laughs> cut corners um so that's that the the alpha so i call it that was that was it so we just put in all these 
just made it as cool as we could and as nice as we could. And, you know, that, that TV show launched and gave us a lot of publicity right away. And uh, we kind of weren't sure exactly how much it costs. You know, I, I've run businesses, but I never had my own. And, you know, some of the, essentially, you know, I didn't have overhead. I wasn't paying myself. You know, there's a lot of big financial factors that weren't accounted for. So the home was already really expensive when we launched it. And then I realized it was tens of thousands of dollars underpriced. And so, so things just, you know, kind of, that, that was a painful lesson. But what, what wound up happening is people saw this home and they're like, this is incredible. We love this. And they were just higher net worth people um, who had these circumstances. And they're like, oh, I want this. Oh, you're going to do this custom. Cool. Let's add all this. And so the, that's what wound up happening. The Escher. Was that one of the ones on your site originally? Like that's on your site now? or The, the Alpha was the very original. And, okay, got it. Yeah, and I was living in that kind of off and on for about a year before that's Disney cool. bought it from me. Um, nice. And it's a whole whole story. We Actually, they took it up to the World Trade Center, did this massive, like, wrapped it in a present, huge production, unveiling, dance that's party, cool. all this stuff. That was cool. And it was it was live on Good Morning America. So that was nice. a very surreal, surreal experience. That's awesome. But yeah. Um, anyway, the, the Escher was the second model and that was the next evolution of the Alpha. It was for a family. They were about to have their first child. They lived in the Santa Cruz Mountains of California, had this right. really cool, interesting life. And it was like, you, you want a separate bedroom on the opposite end of the house. So That's the Escher was this kind of collaborative process, you know, mm -hmm. making the Alpha more more family friendly or for, you know, more people who, who can yeah. live and should be the space. Um, yeah. And then the, the Cornelia and the orchid, um, the client named Cornelia, uh, funky, funky really, but she's German. She's, you know, one of the extremely successful international, multiple international best selling children's author. She does children's oh, cool. fantasy from like really young ages to, you know, young adult. Uh, she's a, there's, you know, there's a handful of people in your life you meet, and there's your life before you meet this person and your life after. She's been one of the most influential, positive uh, presences in my life. She's a great mentor. She, you know, she, was, she bought my homes for a property she used to own in Malibu. And the point of them was, yeah, a little writing studio was the first one, the Cornelia. And then she also hosts uh, young artists from around the world to do residencies and mentor them. Right. Yeah, it was super and, cool. Yeah. And, and what's been really cool is my clients have given me like total creative license, almost total, right? They give me the parameters, what they need. And they're like, make it happen. She was kind of like my matron, you know, like I think of the, uh, you know, Florence when Michael, I'm not comparing myself to this artist, but, but these artists, no, I understand. Someone, uh, yeah. you know, finance people who support your creativity. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's, it's, uh, please reiterate, I, not comparing myself to any, those people in history. But, cool. Yeah. So you just kind of said, these are your songs. So you, you make the song you want, David. So Cornelia I named after her. And then the orchid was the, it, as soon as I delivered it, she's like, okay, I want another one. <laughs> so that's where the Cornelia and the orchid came from. And then the Luna was, was my attempt at a more economical, um, tiny home than the others. Um, so that's, yeah, that's, that's kind of the evolution of models. I have a new one that I haven't released. Uh, it's was really expensive to build, so I don't know if I'm going to even offer it. As, yeah. So I, yeah, but but it, it, it's been a cool project too. That's uh, awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Uh, 
Yeah, so basically it sounds like a lot of these end up being like sort of bespoke things you've done for clients that then you are able to offer kind of more widely to the world. Yeah, exactly. Um, nice. Been real high touch, high custom for, you know, up until really the past six months and navigating the absolute nightmare that COVID has created for the construction industry at large. Um, you mean just in terms goods. of like, it's hard to get windows, it's hard to get labor, but like, come yeah, on, supply chain up, nightmares. Like that. yeah, supply chain nightmares, extreme yeah. price increases, yeah. volatility and increases and, in, you know, raw materials, labor, the third party home goods, you know, all that um, was just a logistical nightmare, uh, yeah. especially when you're producing inside, right? And you have very right. limited uh, number of things you can do and one project getting delayed can delay six others so. right because you have a line yeah that makes sense yeah we yeah, uh, just i think that we've that dealt with that a lot of, um sure <laughs> sure especially you know it's a hundred times worse for for companies any company bigger than than mine um, yeah that makes yeah, sense yeah yeah, sorry. So I've kind of moved the the business model more to customizing the units that already exist um, and really refining and simplifying all the offerings. And I think you know, for for a lot of entrepreneurs and first time business owners, you think in this in a new product in a nascent market, you think, oh, I need to offer all these options in order to get clients. And yeah, some level that's been true, um, but you kind of have to to take a leap with that wager and say, well, uh, maybe people don't want that many options. We think we do, but we really don't. We all suffer from extreme you know, decision fatigue in this current world, and we're not even aware of it. But, I mean, it's exhausting. You really only have so much glucose in your brain to spend making decisions every day. So we've really just simplified everything, and that's that's the direction we're moving in. So, And, and I'm, I'll, I'll touch on this later, but doing a site built and also modular um, design for full-size homes, uh, interior, architecturally, all that. So that's yeah. something we've added, and that's kind of where I'm moving to spend a lot of my creative energy. Cool. Time. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so I guess one of the questions you talked about before a little bit was, uh, and it's interesting because we've, uh, we've talked to a few uh, sort of people in the tiny home space, and this actually varies a lot based on company. Mm-hmm. What are mm-hmm. the use cases like? Use cases is like sort of a businessy way of saying like, what are people using your uh, homes for? You, you talked about like kind of sort of affluent people, you know, putting these on as like little guest houses kind of things on their Malibu properties. Um, like we've seen, yeah, is, is that pretty standard? Is it like a lot of Airbnbs and short term rentals? Like, yeah, what are, yeah, why why do people use your homes? Yeah, great question. Uh, one of my <clears throat> mottos from the very beginning has been downsize and upgrade. I knew there were a lot of hurdles from a zoning codes perspective to tiny homes on wheels. Um, and, and there are a lot of resistance from people because it's a massive paradigm and lifestyle shift to downsize to, you know, from 3,000 square feet to 300. Um, so part of my thing was <clears throat> I want full size rooms. Uh, I want, you know, full size appliances. Uh, and I want, you know, because you're just, you're, you're spending money on so many fewer things, get the best you can of that item. Um, and this helps, you know, make it more attainable to, to downsize like that. Um, you know, part of, I don't know if you're going to talk about design ethos, but a big, few big ones for me is bring indoor, outdoor. So a lot of glass surfaces, that garage yeah. door allows a whole wall to open. 
uh, hidden storage. Most people just cram everything in a full-size home and it just feels really cluttered. Uh, I like clean, open rooms. So when something's not in use, it slides away. And part of that is multifunctional furniture, right? So, um, yeah, so what, who, yeah, mainly my clients have become, you know, small families or individuals who have a beautiful piece of property. It's in a more remote area. Building on it might be cost and time prohibitive or not might be is cost and or time prohibitive. And so they get this prefab unit. It's completed. They do a little site work, get it ready. We bring it up and it's hooked up within, you know, a day or a few days or a week. Yeah. So, so, so let's talk about, so, so and by the way, it's super cool because so many people come to our site, by the way, and are like, right. Like, Hey, I own this remote piece of land in X, Y, Z. I yeah. just want to throw a modular home on. And usually we're like, well, you know, in order to throw a modular home on, you actually probably need to get a, a crane back there. Right. <laughs> how, how easy is the access there? Um, right. So, so it actually sounds like, you know, if you can tow it, you can probably get your, uh, you can actually achieve that. But um, in terms of like the actual site work you need, what, what ends up, what do you, what do you end up asking for? Like, do you, is there a pad? Do you end up using RV hookups or do you go off grid? Like what are the different sort of ways people do this? Yeah, for sure. Uh, one of the advantages of tiny homes, I modular too, but just small spaces mm-hmm. is the adaptability to pretty much any site you could think of. Meaning, you can make them fully off-grid or you can have off-grid solar and do septic or tie into obviously city utilities, county utilities. Um, tiny homes on wheels, like you said, the logistics and the cost of getting it from factory to set up on site are just so much more, tens of thousands of dollars more. Whereas mine, a truck pulls it up, sets it down. But yeah, usually it's a, it's a pad. They, they put a pad in there. Mostly it's gravel, um, you know, sometimes concrete, uh, but it's some combination of either all city utilities or a lot of off grid. Um, <clears throat> I can send you a link to a, a YouTube tour of a client who has a couple units on top. I of think the I saw this. Down. Yeah. Like, uh, you were being interviewed. It was, uh, it's quite cool. It was like, a, I think it was Southern California. It's like on a, a hilltop or something like that. Mountaintop. Yeah. Mountaintop. Yeah. yeah. It was definitely beautiful. very, very wanderlusty. It looked cool. Yeah, uh-huh. for sure. So, so that, that's a great thing is like, that's fully off grid and it's, you know, it's a luxury experience and it's yeah, really totally. rustic, you know, desert mountaintop, um, that otherwise would be, you know, massively inconvenient or feel like you're camping. And this is like, I won't use the G word glamping. Um, but it's like, you know, really, it's just, it's, it's, it makes sense. It's, it's not a huge sacrifice for people. So, um, so- but yeah, it's, yeah. yeah so one question I had. So we talked a little bit about you. You sort of made allusions to. I think historically one of the sort of challenging things about these tiny homes on wheels has just been like sort of the parking work thing of like, yeah. Am I just like We're, in this like kind of like legal gray zone sort of? But it actually mm-hmm. seems like I know when we talked. I think you said you're in LA now. It seems like particularly like in California, but a number of these kind of more progressive areas. I think LA County definitely Placer County is starting to have regulation where you can actually do um, yeah. tiny homes and tiny homes on wheels as ADUs. Is yeah. that something that you're seeing clients uh, like, is, are you getting more demand from those kinds of areas for these things? Just because I imagine that simplifies some of the issues here. You know, not really. I think I would like to market a little bit more to that. Um, 
you know, the thing in the city is it's can be actually more inexpensive, more, more economical to just do a site built ADU. And then there's all these venture back companies. It's amazing how much venture. Oh, in LA, there's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And just California Silicon Valley. And these companies have, you know, tens of millions of dollars to build really cheap products on our new, uh, (laughs) you know, our new national business model, which is, you know, burn money for tens of years. And uh, so you own the market share and then you actually have a business that works and put all the other small companies out of business, which is really fun. Um, But no, you have so many of those that just offer really cheap and expensive products. And so it it just remains that my, my clients have, especially with COVID, right. You had this unbelievable exodus from cities, if not permanent, you know, re, re, you know, moving um, residences, then at least this, this, I need to get out of nature. I can't do anything in a city. You know, how do I do this? Oh, it takes five years to build on site. Let's do this. So reconnecting people with nature, a huge important thing for me. And then, yeah, that's, that's mainly where my clientele comes from. Um, I have done a bunch of enterprise projects like with Disney, with Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, that was a cool one. We had a house that ran off coffee beans, spent coffee grants. Um, Roan, a really cool men's apparel line, Lilabo. Um, I'm missing a few. Oh, Fial Raven, which is an amazing outdoor sports gear company. Uh, and then, yeah, but I've moved away from those. This has been really cool, yeah. but they're just so much more time consuming. And, yeah. Um, yeah. But so it's, yeah, it's, and, and again, like I said, it's usually a little bit higher net worth individuals, some celebrities, and, and, uh, yeah, it's just the right fit for them. Cool. Um, so I guess last question. So you talked about how you're sort of um, transitioning to also doing design work on yeah, like full size residences. Um, How did you get into that? And um, yeah, just sort of what, what's the state of that these days? Yeah. So I had a little bit of background in that. I've always been really interested in space, um, you know, that, that humans create. I, like I said, I love nature, like wilderness nature. I'm most at home out in, you know, the woods or the mountains or, whatever <clears throat> so you know creating a, a space is so important we spend most of our time indoors and most of our time in the home so it's a really sacred uh sacred thing and i, so I kind of dabbled in, in and out worked in it kind of for ralph lauren did some visuals and stores and then that chicago experience and um you know and bars restaurants nightclubs and then uh yeah, so I think it, it was naturally happening. I'm really interested in hospitality, right? Creating experiences for people. And, um, you know, most of those are, are you know, site-built stuff. Um, so I think it was just a natural evolution. What really was a tipping point are two things. One, I'm, I'm self-taught. I've had some amazing mentors, getting Taylor Mallon from a design perspective who taught me most of what I know. Uh, amazing human being and just really talented guy. Um, so I learned a lot just through trial and error and, and, you know, having a few mentors and just, you know, sitting down and watching tutorials about, uh, right. You know, right before COVID actually hit, I kind of got to a point where I'm like, okay, I can actually start doing this remotely. Right. I can, I, I can, I'm not going to have to outsource the entire, you know, go from idea to construction documents to getting it you know built. Um, 
so that that was you know going to happen anyway when COVID hit and lockdown hit and the just panic of what's going to happen um a bunch of projects fell off uh, a bunch were put on hold and i'm like do i even have a viable business anymore um so i i launched that just to give me a whole new market right so i'm not totally confined and to this one product right it's one product type uh and it's very limited niche market so i announced it um got a few projects right away uh that are really exciting um out here out west uh california uh one of texas but it so it just made sense and then lockdown um lockdown just made it like okay i gotta do this now uh covid actually wound up being the best thing for demand we've ever experienced for some of the reasons i alluded to earlier but yeah that was that was kind of how that came about that makes sense um this has been um and that's very cool we're definitely uh definitely post on your site or instagram i don't know if i've seen if you've fully built any of those homes yet i know it can take a while um but uh excited to to see what uh what it all looks like um thanks (laughs) we we, i don't know we do like tens of homes a month uh, with different clients and uh it is uh it's a lot of work so uh like i'm sure sure, at least for us so i'm sure you're discovering that um but uh it's a little bit of a slower timeline (laughs) just honestly like my impression of one of the things that i'm very jealous of for you is just especially like so our biggest markets are in terms of clients are outside of new york outside of like kind of bay area sonoma tahoe and outside of los angeles though we i don't know we do projects everywhere and the the permitting on some of those areas is is not fast so like the nice thing about the tiny homes and is it just seems like that stuff sort of is just like less of a factor so um yeah yeah i I mean a lot of people just kind of go under the radar like if you're in a more rural place it's like Mm -hmm. and, and you know it's very private um no one knows no one you know people yeah. care a lot less out there so but anyway but, yeah uh, permits yeah. are awesome <laughs> I, well, I you know i've seen probably nine emails this week about revisions for drainage engineers and stuff like that so so it gets, yeah which is all important but it just gets very Fair. um okay so just moving on uh, it's been awesome learning a bit about your business and your journey uh anytime we have um, experts and interesting people in the field like you uh we try to ask uh you know, frequently asked questions. Uh, mm-hmm. One is, uh, what differences do you make? Like, there's a couple, I think, photos on your site of your homes in colder areas. Uh, like, you know, so we have lots of people who want to put these types of homes in areas that get cold or where there's like, you know, outside of Jackson, outside of Tahoe, where, you know, 100, 200 yeah. pound snow loads. Um, yeah. What do you have to do differently for those areas if you have experience with them? Yeah, usually we just make it, a, you know, just a pavilion that doesn't have any walls. And, um, you know, we, we tell people to get a bunch of hand warmers and just stuff them everywhere. Um, no, I mean, we, what's the first project really that's been in a place, it's, it's in Idaho. I can't disclose where yet. Yeah, yeah we, just did a cool, we just did a cool project in Tetonia. So we know, we know that. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah, this is in... Uh, right, undisclosed yeah, location, up, Idaho. Undisclosed location, but up in the wilderness. You know, cool. I, Idaho's, I've actually 
I, I'm, I can't talk about Idaho because no one there wants anybody else to know how cool it is. But <laughs> the, the, this is really cold, right? It's really cold. Um, you have, you know, weeks and months where it can be negative 20. So one, two by six framing, a lot more insulation, um, maybe a little bit of glass, less glass surface. But we do mini split or how is, is how yes. most people heat and cool them. Um, mm-hmm. Those are amazing products. But so we get the, the you know, the really low temp, the, the lowest temp you can get on those. And then supplemental heat, right? A propane stove or, or propane fireplace uh, it, like this and remote control. It has a thermostat on it. And it does crank so much heat that it's like, you're good. I mean, you're, you're going to be you're going to be hot at night, um, even in unbelievably frigid temperatures. So, and there's little things you can do to glass is obviously where most of your heat loss or gain comes from. Uh, if you get thick plush curtains, it's crazy. I'm sure anybody who's been in a cold place has realized this, but you get thicker curtains. It's crazy how much, how much that blocks a lot of that cold air coming in, or at least, at least, uh, you know, softens it a little bit. So just simple things like that. Got it. That makes sense. Um, and then, uh, in terms of, uh, in, uh, do you, do you end up, one question was, we have a lot of, uh, people who like see homes like yours and like the idea of just buying them because there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people who, who are doing these kind of like Airbnb sort of non-professional businesses, meaning like they just own some land and they think this is a fun thing to do. Is that something that you end up doing a lot? And does that affect anything from like a, like a use case perspective? Just cause, uh, again, your homes are really cool, but, uh, some of the stuff in terms of like putting pieces together, um, I could see being in some ways really cool for Airbnbs, but in other ways, actually like a little complicated for people to do each and every time. Does that sort of go into your calculus at all around like what makes sense for this use case? Yeah, for sure. I mean, are you talking about from like a permitting legality standpoint? No, no, from uh, like uh, no, from like I'm a guest. Uh, like, is it going to be complicated for me to like put together a dining room table or you know what? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think you know that that's always that varies situation to situation. But for short term rental, which is you know we we do have a fair amount of clients who use our products for that. I'll give a little plug that. Any client that does that, we will use our, you know, 120,000 social media follower base Instagram, and a yeah. 15,000 nice. person email list to promote those projects, um, give them a lot of visibility that might take them a lot of money or a lot of time otherwise. But the short-term rental is, you know, you just, you, you dumb them down, right? I mean, not dumb them down, you simplify them. Um, you don't need a full kitchen. It's a kitchenette. You don't need all this multifunctional furniture. Uh, that they could get banged up or whatever. So you just, you simplify it. It's a, a place with great weather, Southern California, you know, outdoor space becomes your indoor space really easily most of the year. Um, but, you know, there's things like adding a drop down table, uh, you know, making something that's a little bit more fixed or finding a, a great third party good or item that, that works perfectly in this one little spot. Um, so it's, it's, you know, you, you solve problems for a specific situation, right? You, you create, optimize for specific situations. But yeah, I mean, the short-term rental thing, I mean, the Orchid, you see, you see how simple that is. That was created yeah. for short-term rental. And the Cornelia and the Luna can be modified to have a ground floor bedroom. 
which really opens up um, a whole new market for you because, you know, a lot of people don't want to stay in a loft, especially, you know, as you start to get older. Um, and, and then having your own privacy and the separation of bedroom like the Asher does is, is a huge value add too, plus the second bed. Does that answer your question? Yeah, perfect. Um, last question. And usually I take questions from the audience, but actually just this is a, a personal one. Um, yeah. So it seems like you have a beautiful product and kind of got into the tiny home thing at the right time. Um, I don't, we don't really have a physical product in the same way, but we are visible in this sort of up and coming prefab and modular space. Yeah. So we get hit up like, like our site, like at least once or twice a month, probably from different TV producers uh, about like, Hey, you should do X or Y TV show about building prefab houses. And we mostly yeah. honestly ignore it just because it seems like, like amazing exposure, but also like a lot of a work massive pain, potentially pain a distraction. Um, what, what's your experience been like with all that stuff? Yeah, well, you could burn that word potentially distraction and know that for <laughs> sure, without question, as sure as gravity, it's going to be a distraction. It's a matter of how devastatingly a distraction it is. Right. I exactly. mean, you know, one thing anybody who doesn't already know this should know this about reality television. The only thing that's real is that you're actually watching a television show, right? So you're not hallucinating. And those are actual humans on the show. Everything else is made up to varying degrees to 97% made up to you know, 25% made up. Um, so yeah, I mean, building construction and filming go are worse, way worse than oil and water. Right. They're like, right. Uh, Cause, cause it, and especially like, like your, your timing cadence is a little different on tiny homes for like our yeah. homes that can take like sometimes like 18 months or 24 months from the beginning to end. Yeah. Yeah, it, exactly. Um, but you, you know, you have those, to do one episode, you're going to have at least three full days of filming. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just so much, so resource and, and time intensive to produce vi- visual media, like video. Um, yeah, and it's just, it's a massively disruptive force. Um, yeah, so, the, and, and, you know, those things, depends on the show, but, you know, <laughs> the shows that I was on, Tiny House Big Living, was perfect. I didn't change a single thing. That show reflected my business, us doing our thing, creating our product with no input from the network, right? You have these like design competition shows and the whole point is maximize drama. So it's whatever facts we need to massage or just be dishonest about, we will to maximize drama. So, you know, there, there are a lot of different types of shows yeah. um, out there. Some of them are like true documentaries. Some of them are true, di- true reality uh, drama maximum thing. But yeah, I think it, it, from, you know, that being on, having my first two models, two designs ever being on H feature episodes on HGTV was huge from yeah, a, sure a great disability standpoint. Um, I, my next two models could have been on the same, you know, could have been on in the same situation. And I was like, nah, I, I got what I needed to. It's a nightmare. I don't want to do that process again. Um, but yeah, as far as like, you know, there's a show coming up on, uh, <clears throat> I don't know if I can actually say, on a big network yeah. that's all about, you know, smaller smaller spaces, smaller living. And, and I just filmed a, an episode of that. Okay. It'll be really ex- exciting. Um, so there are shows out there I'm really interested, you know, and, and I think just raising awareness to 
prag- pragmatic, pra- actionable ways people can live smaller, right? right. Not this, you got to sell everything and change your lifestyle entirely, uh, you know, in your family to do this. It's like, no, there's, there's, there's a, even if you just change your philosophy, right? Living smaller is, it's a movement based in a philosophy um, for many people. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the TV no, thing that's, is like that's a good summary. Yeah, my, our yeah. our take so far has been like, if we could guarantee like a great outcome like yours, like this will go live, get exposure, educate people, we would totally go through the trouble. And yeah. given that we cannot, it seems like a, a lot of work. Given that we're pretty busy on other stuff, but uh, yeah, and maybe that'll change as we get bigger. It's like. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, final question. Uh, uh, sorry. Let me let me modify that because I don't want to throw people I like yeah. under the bus or. or no. Oh no! I I think you so, sound like you had great experiences. It just yeah, sounds like yeah, I did. I had amazing experiences, and I've turned down some that are not, and didn't get one that turned out to be the biggest one of the biggest blessings in my career. Because that show was a nightmare. But some of them, plenty of them, are true documentary shows, right? Like they're just showing a slice of life, people doing their thing. Um, and then sharing that. And that's, that's amazing. That's, that's like part of what I want to do. And I know obviously you are doing with this podcast is like just exposing people to great ideas and, you know, products and concepts and, and, you know, ways to execute. So there are definitely, and the ones I've been a part of are amazing. They're not the reality shows that I'm, you know, <laughs> kind of philosophically opposed to. So yeah. Sounds good. Well, dude, it's been great talking to you and learning about um, New Frontier. The final question that I ask everyone um, is what are you most excited about for your company or sort of the industry in the near future? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, it's interesting you ask that because I'm, I'm kind of in a spot where I've, I've really started to automate things in the back end, And a large part of that is to free up time so I can work on my business and not in it, meaning more high level vision, what I want to be doing and accomplishing and who do I want to be serving in the next two years, five years, 10 years? So I'm, I'm in this phase where I'm, I'm really thinking hard about that. Um, I think ultimately for me, and, and especially our new real estate reality, um, you know, it's insane, like literal actual insanity, um, what prices are doing all over the country. And then, and then like these random rural places that, you know, nobody knows about it's just insane and i think a big driver of that is sure wealthy individuals buying up real estate in mass but mainly it's the fact that institutional capital wall street firms who are managing hundreds of billions of dollars in assets are buying up the, the whole damn country um and that's i so i don't i think there's going to be a correction i don't think it's going to be much of one and i think the new model will be really hard for mo- the vast majority of americans to own homes um, and, you know, and so all that to say, and it, I think it's going to be a, a model, a landlord model where, you know, <laughs> uh, Blackstone capital is your landlord. Um, so I think for, for smaller spaces, right. This is, this is the future sustainability. People love it. There's something really intimate and comforting about living in a small space. Um, what's that term that's, uh, right size living, right. Um, not a bunch of dead square footage that you don't use. So I think from a housing standpoint, this is going to be a part of the future. I think urban and, and you know, more, more rural. Um, it's a lifestyle. People want experience. That's the new social currency. Um, but also from a, like a 
totally functional home is one of the most important things in our lives. I think it's going to offer home ownership opportunities. So there's that more modular prefab site built stuff. Um, so that's a big thing. And then just reconnecting people to nature, right? That's a huge thing for me um, as it starts to disappear more and more. And as, as people are, you know, we're, we're married, we're slaves to our devices <laughs> and to convenience. And, um, you know, those things are very seductive and can take all our time attention. So disconnecting people from that, reconnecting to nature. Uh, one of the things I'm trying to get into is experiential hospitality to create a, a really cool, beautiful, um, real, like amazing, more rural, rustic. There's a bunch of concepts out there. Yeah. Yeah. We, our, we had the guys from Mo living on a few weeks ago. I don't know if you know them, but similar, like doing some yeah, cool. similar stuff. Cool. Cool. Yeah. There's a guy named an architect here that I'm working on some of these projects with named Matthew Royce, very talented, mm-hmm. great guy. Cool. So we're, we're working on a concept, but, but that, and then, yeah, I think just again, experience, like allowing people to live their values and principles of, of here's what I want to do. Here's who I am. Here's what I'm about. I'm going to live this daily, right? I'm not going to live this in the future. Be being present, right? Presence is huge. Um, you know, tomorrow never comes today. So really just reconnecting people to themselves, to their values, you know, to enjoying life day to day, um, instead of some future day, once some X, Y, Z is accomplished, uh, which never comes. It's, it's a fantasy. So just that and, and, you know, providing a, an attainable method of housing for people. So hopefully that, that answer your question. No, it's very worthwhile. And, uh, you can certainly see you care about that based on the homes you create. Um, they're very cool. And, um, we'll definitely, uh, are, do you have any homes in the Bay Area, actually? Um, so I had some. I've got I've got one in Sonoma now. Oh, that's cool. Super yeah. Luna, and then I, I had some in the Santa Cruz Mountains. Oh, awesome! Um, there's there's a few other like yeah. you know ones that are private that that would that's be cool. Shown, but those yeah. were on Airbnb. They're going oh, awesome. to be again, but they all that was lost in the. Oh, fire yeah. One of the things we've gotten we we used to do some events pre-COVID, but we've gotten some requests for. Uh, I don't know if we're going to do it at some point doing like a, like a Sonoma or a, like a Healdsburg or Napa, like, cause there's a lot of modular up there, like bike yeah. tour where we like, you know, bike cool. to like four or five of them. So it'd be That's awesome. super cool to try to get on, on the tour. Um, anyway, uh, David, it's been awesome talking and learning from you. Uh, for more information about David and new frontier design, visit newfrontierdesign.com, And you can always visit us uh, anytime at prefabreview.com. Thanks again. Yeah, let me just give y'all a plug. What you're doing is so important. I really appreciate it. I mean, spreading awareness uh, is just so huge and so needed. Um, So way to be a megaphone for all these different companies and just sharing all these different ideas. So thank you for this opportunity. It's such an honor to be on your podcast. Well, that's really nice of you. Thanks again. All right, cheers.